Hey, my friend. Hello, my neighbor. And welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, today we've got one of the greats in the record business, Mr. Harold Shedd. Harold's a music industry executive and one of the top record producers of our time. Mr. Shedd's here for an exclusive interview with Paul Leslie. Hey, before we start, real quick, the Paul Leslie Hour, I'm reminding you, is made possible by listeners like you. And no amount is too small or too large. Just go to thepaulleslie.com slash support. Your contribution keeps the show going and allows for more exclusive content like this. And here we've got a good one. Mr. Harold Shedd on The Paul Leslie Hour. Gentlemen, take it away. Hello, Mr. Shedd. Yes. Hey, this is Paul Leslie. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm glad to hear it. Are we all set for our interview? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Can you hear me all right? Oh, yeah, it's coming through clear. Well, ladies and gentlemen, now we have someone with us who is every bit the legend in music. I want to introduce you to Harold Shedd, an inductee in the Georgia Music Hall of Fame. His early days began in the state of Georgia, playing in local bands, and he branched out into broadcasting. Harold Shedd was a radio DJ, engineer, sales manager, and then a station owner. And for those of you traveling through Bremen, Georgia, look out for that part of US-27 officially named Harold Shedd Highway. Harold Shedd moved on to Nashville at a certain point. He is responsible for producing the group Alabama, the first record of Shania Twain, to name a few more, Roger Miller, Mel Tillis, Glenn Campbell, Willie Nelson, Reba McIntyre, K.T. Oslin, Toby Keith, a great variety. In fact, he is responsible for producing or collaborating on around 500 million records sold. Quite incredible. Well, Mr. Harold Shedd, it's a great honor to have you here for an interview. Well, thank you, Paul. It's, it's mighty fine to be with you. <laughs> well, thank you on behalf of our listeners. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up in Georgia? Oh, well, I, I love Georgia. I grew up on a farm, and I love that, you know. I lived on a farm until I was a teenager and we did, uh, we were sharecroppers. So we moved around a good bit, but we always lived on a farm. And what about the music that you heard growing up? Can you tell us about what you heard on uh, radio or just around your community there? Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't hear a lot of music. I, I became interested in music when I was four years old. I remember that. And my father made me, uh, in the beginning, a, a makeshift kind of instrument to play, you know. It was uh, uh, at least close to uh, a mandolin. I, I started out, I learned to play a mandolin later on. So I guess that was the reason for, for all of that. But then uh, 
my sister sang and my brothers all sang. And uh, my father was a minister, and so we we grew up in church singing, you know, so we, we sang most of our lives. Well, on that note, do you have perhaps a favorite gospel tune or a favorite hymn? Well, I have a, I have a lot of favorites. We, I, I don't. Every everybody loves Amazing Grace and how great they are, how great thou art, and uh, and they're they are great songs, and there and there's so many of those. My mother loved uh, everything that Jimmy Davis, the governor of Louisiana, that made gospel records. So I I loved a lot of his records, especially. The Supper Time cut on one of his albums. Interesting stuff. Now, there's someone I want to jump ahead a little bit because there was somebody I had a chance to interview who is from your part of Georgia. He was one of the most delightful interviews ever, and I'm talking about Rhubarb Jones. Oh yes, Rhubarb was one of my my really special friends. He was a he was a great friend and a and a great friend to country music or to all kinds of music, but especially country. Yeah, he was a great person. Rhubarb was, and what a personality! Yeah, oh yeah. Well, he was, I think, this jockey of the year two or three times, different times. So. He was real respected and uh, well revered in his in his industry. He was great at what he did. So tell us, what was the inspiration behind you moving to Nashville? What was going through your mind at that time? Well, at that time, I had uh, spent a great deal of time in radio, and was had really was moving from radio into more jingles or, you know, singing commercials. We're talking about early 70s now, and they were becoming, you know, a lot more popular. And as it was, I had taken a job as a a representative and sold jingles for a company out of Memphis that people in radio I'm sure would remember because it was also a barter company. In other words, we would trade jingles for airtime. And the company was Pepper Tanner. I'm sure you remember it, Paul. Pepper Tanner? Yes, I worked for them in the jingle business as a sales representative for two or three years and and moved to Nashville and with two other people, we started our own jingle company. How has Nashville changed from the years that you, when you moved up there to how it is now? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what a change for all that is. It, it, it may be what it's supposed to do. I'm not questioning that part of it, but the rest of it is, is really changed in that at one time, you know, almost every house on Music Row, especially 16th and 17th Avenues, 
either had some form of recording or publishing or booking or management or had something to do with music. And it was all magical. You could go from house to house and uh, you could write a song or publish a song or sing a song. You know, it was just a magical place. And I went there in 72 and it was just one of the most incredible experiences, you know, you've ever had if you love music. But all of, all of that part of it is gone now. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. And, and they, you know, the houses are gone even. It's condos and, and high rises and office buildings and, and it's all very corporate now. So for me, I probably wouldn't fit in like I did when I was there at the right time for me, you know. Hmm. Well, how did you learn to produce music? Well, I was writing and uh, producing jingles and commercials, and three of us that were working together built the studio, and uh, so... uh, we did jingles for a while, and then the other two guys decided to go different directions. So uh, about that time, I met Shep Woolley. If you know, you know who Shep Woolley is. No, I don't know that name. Well, he was on Rawhide. Ah, the TV show. And he played. He was a. He was on Rawhide and played Pete Nolan. The scout with Clint Eastwood and uh, Gil Favor. So anyway, he became my partner, and I started to focus more on music than commercials. And uh, I had met, you know, some people, more people in the business, in the music business part of it, the especially the promotion and marketing and distribution part of it. So. Uh, that's how I met Alabama. This lady at Nationwide Sound, Betty Gibson, called me one day and said, I want you to listen to this band. We're, we put out an independent record on them, and it might be what you're looking for. And uh, so with that, you know, the band turned out to be the group Alabama. So you you know our history together. We had group of the decade and and um, Alabama's the most awarded group and or group in any type of, of music. They were just an uh, incredible band for for the decade. So all of that kind of just happened. I don't know how that happened, you know. Well, I wanted to ask about meeting Alabama, meeting the members of that band. There's really no group out there like that. What did you think when you met the musicians? Well, having been a musician and trying to be a musician, it was just something. I'd always had a band in my teenage years, and... uh so I was not new to bands, but I never had a band that good, you know, that could write and sing and play like Alabama. So I kind of felt like I was one of the bands, you know, and, and uh, the only difference was I didn't play 
music, but I made records out of their music, and, and it was just a, a great experience. As I was mentioning at the in, at the introduction, so many great talent that you have been around from Glenn Campbell, Willie Nelson, Alabama, as we have been discussing. Could you say who the greatest raw talent you saw was? The greatest raw talent? Yeah, just pure talent. Well, I guess that would have to be Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. He was he was a talented young man. He made people throw their clothes up on stage, <laughs> you know. He 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 did things I've never seen but one other time in my life, and that was in uh, in 1957 at the Fox Theater when Elvis performed. Uh, Ladies actually threw their underwear on stage, and it was the second time I'd ever seen that. So, you know, this guy has something going on, you know. So it was was like that. I was... uh, impulsive a lot of times in my signings. I could, like when I signed the Kentucky Headhunters, I saw them at a showcase in Nashville. They were showcasing. They had recorded eight songs on a a cassette tape at that time. This is before CDs. And so I happened to be at this club the night they came in to showcase one of my associates that worked at the record label was with me and I says hey let's let's look at this band he said uh, and, and this is kind of meant to be funny and he says why you want to do that I said because that's the ugliest band I've ever seen so <laughs> I want to see what they sound like long story short we've had a lot of laughs about that since but when uh, they they went through, uh, they opened with The Only Daddy That'll Walk the Line, an old Waylon Jennings song, and they went into Walk Softly on This Heart of Mine, which was their first single after I had signed them. But I told my, my associate when they got to the chorus of Walk Softly, I just looked at it and I said, I'm going to sign this band to the record label. <laughs> and it was like that. I knew immediately I was going to do something with that band. Same thing with Alabama. Alabama was performing for tips only in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and they were performing original songs and people were just packing the place to hear them. So, you know, if you're in uh, the business, you know if people want to hear things they've never heard before, there are a lot of other people that want to hear that, too. So it was just uh, something I had to to try and do, you know. Does that make any sense to you, Paul? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, another yeah. thing that you you hold a unique distinction you produced the very first record of someone who would become a superstar. I'm talking about Shania Twain. Yes, uh, Norrell Wilson and myself, we did her first album because Norrell had done 
the original demo tape for Shania when she came to town. And so I heard what he had done. In fact, we used, I think, two or three of his cuts or the cuts they had done already on her first album. But we did her first album, and uh, we had uh, one pretty good record and uh, two mediocre cuts on it. But then uh, she met Mutt, and... uh, they uh, fell in love and became soulmates and and uh, man and wife and he just uh, she blossomed then as a writer and artist once she met Mike. So it was a a great thing for her. Did you know that she would become the star that she did? Did you have a hunch? Well, you know, in all honesty, I did. And I'll have to explain this to you, if I can, Paul. I signed as many stars as I did singers, if that makes any sense to you. Because, you know, there are thousands of singers in Nashville. I was one of them, so I know. And a lot of them sing really good. It's not that they don't sing good, but they're not stars. A star is a different thing, and and that that's something that I guess you feel as much as anything. Because I felt like, well, I felt like Shania. And I had another act like this. I'll tell you about in a minute. But I felt Shania would be a star, whatever she did. Was it singing, acting, commercials? television. I always thought she was a star regardless. And she is and was. And is still a star. She works a lot of big shows in Vegas now. But Toby was the same way. Toby, I thought, was a star. He wasn't the greatest singer in the world. You know, Capitol Records told him he couldn't sing or write. So a lot of Professional people didn't think Toby was a star, and I'm glad they didn't because that gave me an opportunity, you know. <laughs> and uh, I thought he was, and and I signed him. Toby became and is a big star. That's true. But as you saw when he did commercials with Terry Bradshaw and for Ford, uh, he could also be a star, you know, and not saying anything. So it was a good step for him. K.T. Oslin was one of my favorite singers. The song 80s Ladies, I thought, was just one of the most incredible songs. And we made a really good, it was record of the year and album of the year. And she was female vocalist of the year. So it was a, a wonderful combination, you know. Would you say that you've had a favorite project? Yeah. <laughs> I guess your first project's always your favorite, but I had a lot of favorites. I had favorites right up through the end. Billy Ray was a Shania, Toby, KT, the Headhunters. They were all great projects. So I guess Alabama being the first project was a the favorite because it it was like the launching pad, you know. But I had a 
I loved working with Glenn Campbell and Roger Miller. They were both just super talents, you know. And they were stars. They were more than just singers. You know, you were talking about Toby Keith earlier, and uh, it does seem kind of, you know, you listen to a song like Should Have Been a Cowboy, and to me it's just it's undeniable that it has that certain quality, and you produced that song. Yes, that was the first record we did together. It's endured. It's, you know, you'll appreciate this, Paul. I, I went to a BMI dinner recently, and it's been played on the radio more than seven million times. Incredible. Yeah. Back-to-back plays, it would be like 70-something years of music. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, mind-blowing. Boy, from the Dust Bowl in, in Oklahoma, you know. How important is personal interactions, keeping good relationships when you're in the music business? Oh, it's it's really always important to be able to communicate, you know. That probably was not one of my strong points, you know, but uh, I did communicate enough to to get the job done. A lot of people, I still talk to most of the people I've worked with that are still alive, and, and uh, some of them I don't. But it's not for any particular reason. It's just you move on and do do other things. We don't keep the same friends forever, I guess. Hmm. Well, you came highly recommended to me through the great Jerry Bradley. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm hoping you can tell us about him. Jerry Bradley was really the man that, got me started at RCA with Alabama. He was president of the label at the time, and and he was uh, one of the kindest, most professional men I ever knew. Just still talk to Jerry on occasion. Saw him about a year ago when Connie died. I went went to the the service, but he's just a great man, and he he ran a great company and had some really, really talented people that worked for him and that recorded for him. Uh, Jerry Jerry is hes one of the people on Music Row in Nashville. Well put. Well, please tell Sir Jerry Bradley I said hello. I sure will. <laughs> I talk to him occasionally. He's, he's a great man. And so was his father. What is the best thing about being Harold Shedd? Well, I get I get to uh, talk to people like you about music. I still love that. I, I'm I'm really greatly flattered to be on your podcast today because I'm I'm not a young guy anymore. And as we grow older, we don't get to talk about our our favorite love, which is life and music. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's a whole different deal. Getting to meet talented people and work with them and trying to achieve their goal, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do, Paul. 
Well, I can tell you that it shows that you were on the radio for quite some time because you have excellent pacing. You have uh, just a, a really good rhythm when you talk. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I yes, love sir. radio, too. <laughs> I did it for 14 years, and I loved every bit of it. My last question, it's very open-ended. There's all types of people who listen in all over the country, young, old, you know, all different types of backgrounds. What would you say to anyone who's tuned in today? Anyone that wants to do anything in particular or just generally speaking? Just generally speaking, anyone who's tuned in. Generally speaking, well, I've always had a philosophy, and it's worked for me. I love the music business more than anything I ever did in my life. So I did a lot of things to get there, and a lot of them were related. But as an example, from from 72 until I retired in about 2010 officially, I, I felt like I never went to work a day. I went to a place I wanted to go and be every day. And and that's what I would say to to aspiring guys, especially in the music business. If you can't do one job, find another job that you can't do because there are, there are a lot of rewarding things, you know, in the entertainment business. And do something you love to do don't go to work and start complaining go to work and be happy <laughs> that would be all i could say well mr shed thank you very much a great honor to interview you well thank you paul i appreciate uh, our visit and and i wish you the best in 22 and on through uh the rest of our time. Oh, thank you. God bless you. God bless you, too. Thank you. All right. Till next time. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com Click on Support the Show and thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song Corina Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me! The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.